This episode of podcast is brought to you by Rock'em Sock'em Mickey Rourke, the new toy for 50-year-olds. You're a special one, Mandy. I, too, am a special one. Let us be so very special together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to World of the Credits, the podcast, the only podcast that goes on a murderous vengeance. For their wife. I'm Zach. And I'm Frank. And today we are here to talk about Mandy. And man, oh man, I've seen this movie twice now and I still really like this movie. Same. I, um, I, saw, this, I saw this film twice. This is my second time watching it. Yeah, I mean, again, we're doing horror adjacent because we're getting close. Is the next pick horror? I think it is. Oh, God. I no. I think it is. No, no, yeah, it's, it's not. Pro- but gonna, we're, we're like right on the gonna, border. I'm going to pick it. <laughs> <laughs> fine. My movie, my movie is going to be a horror film. Next. That's fine. We're just going to go straight into it. Yeah. Um. It's that time. We need to anyways. Yeah. Anyways, Mandy, super cool movie. Um, if you don't know what it is, Mandy came out in 2018, directed by Panos Cosmatos. 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 Um, also executively produced by Elijah Wood. Yeah. Um, nice to see him because, uh, you know, I think he needs to do more stuff. Um, also executively produced by Andrea Riseborough, who plays Mandy in this film. Mm-hmm. Um. You have Nicolas Cage, great, who plays Red. And then your main antagonist is Linus Roach, who plays Jeremiah Sand. Um, the cult, like, group is whatever. They're not, like, the most prominent in the film. Yeah. Um, but that's, like, your main bread and butter is, like, those three characters right there. And if you don't know what Mandy is, it is a fucking like LSD trip, basically. <laughs> um, but the enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish hippie cult and their demon biker henchmen propelling a man <laughs> into a spiraling surreal rampage of vengeance. <laughs> as soon as we got the, to the that. IMDB is just nonsense. <laughs> like like I I like this movie because it's like there's such a realistic side to it in like the fantasy aspect and then it just goes full-on nutso yeah by like halfway through yeah from what i could tell i i still haven't seen beyond the black rainbow <laughs> um i've watched about half of it mm-hmm. so i can sort of speak to it slightly uh that movie is seems to be much more of a vibe than a narrative mm-hmm. and this movie, I think, is a good balance of... This movie is very much a vibe. Absolutely. Like, like, this is definitely, like, you're in this, like, emotion state. Like, this is the movie to watch. Yeah. And it also, I think, what kind of catapults it to another level is... Nicholas ...a Cage. really strong narrative. A mm-hmm. really strong piece of storytelling. Yes. like, And it's, it's a simple story. It's it not, is. It's not very complicated at its core. Yeah. It's just revenge. And it's a... And it's a you know, it kind of is a, fi- a film that we've seen a million times, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, a man's woman gets murdered, and now he is taking revenge upon the people who did it. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a story that has been you know tried and true, mm-hmm. and and but Charlie it, Bronson did it eight times in Death <laughs> Wish, so <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, so the fact that Panos was able to, I think, capture something that is feels wholeheartedly, completely unique to himself, mm-hmm. and he very much has a he has a has a cinematic voice i think he has a very mm-hmm. a, like he is kind of one of those people now where 
you, it seems that you watch them as soon as you put on a Panos film, you can tell the you style. You can feel it because I, I mean, I put on Beyond the Black Rainbow, mm-hmm. and my girlfriend was like, "This feels like Mandy," mm-hmm. and I was like, "It's by the same guy," and she was like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense because you, you can just feel like his cinematic touch on things." Yeah, I mean, that's the thing too is like I've, I've seen Beyond the Black Rainbow. It is. One of those ones where it's like, I really wish I could like it, and maybe I just got to like give it another chance, but like it just was like nutso. But the bones were there of Panos, like, like the style, the music, that like intensity that it has of like this very neon color, but like very high definition at the same time. Like, he brought that over into Mandy, but gave it an actual story, yeah. And I think that's where like Mandy really was like. He took all the best parts from Beyond the Black Rainbow and then added it and made it something new. Yeah. Um, and that's really cool. Beyond the Black Rainbow is just like I I got like halfway through and I was just like, I don't know what we're doing anymore. I, I mean, again, I'm I'm about at the halfway the halfway mark with it and I'm into it again mm-hmm. because it's just a vibe. And that's mm-hmm. like the thing I think you have to understand about Panos is it's this movie, Mandy, is not going to be a movie for everybody. No, it, it is. It is slow. It is. It takes its time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first you know forty five minutes is really character building and yes. understanding this couple and who they are, and then watching that kind of bond get broken between them, and mm-hmm. and then there is this whole revenge aspect of it, which again is also not. Like it, 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 I think that he does deliver the goods. Mm-hmm. I can see people saying that he doesn't. I think the first time that I watched it, like I kind of felt like lackluster at the ending. But like this time around watching it, I was like, you know what? It makes sense. Like it, it works for like what it was. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, like you said, like this movie is like very, very slow in the beginning. Um. I really enjoy the fact that like most of it is visual storytelling. Right. There's um, almost. I don't think there's any exposition in this film. No, there's, like, zero dialogue for, like, the first, like, ten minutes, too. And even that is literally just, like, hey, how was your day? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's it's just normal conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I think it's funny, too, because it's, like, this is a slow burn film. But, like, by the halfway mark, like, it's ramped up to, like, a hundred. Kind of, but not exactly, too. (laughs) Because, like, even when it starts ramping up, it's still, it it feels a little stuck in the mud. mm Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a bizarre... Like, it goes 60, and then it hits a speed bump, so it has to slow down, and then it goes 100, and then it hits, like, a stoplight. Yeah, it's got a weird kind of pacing to it, but Mm -hmm. again, I I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I I didn't mind it nearly as much watching, rewatching it the second time around, and Mm -hmm. I think think a lot of it... it's, It's interesting how a mood, like, the mood that you're in can really kind of change the experience the, the the movie watching experience mm-hmm. because like if you're on shrooms and I, watching well this. <laughs> i want so i watched this movie the first time with my girlfriend and and one of her friends and her mom we were all in the living room and i, and I bought the movie i have it i didn't even see it yet but i mm-hmm. bought it and i was like i think i'm gonna love this film so i'm just gonna <laughs> fucking bite the bullet and just buy it that's what i did with uncut gems <laughs> yeah so we all sat down and watched it and i felt pretty lukewarm on it mm. Um, and it just, cause it wasn't the right atmosphere. Everybody was kind of expecting this chainsaw wielding like mm-hmm. revenge tale. And that's not really what we ended up getting. Although you do, you do, but it's just yeah. not what you, it's, it's not like a evil dead, no. <laughs> you know, which is kind of what I was sort of expecting mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit more goofy and a little bit more just balls to the wall. Yeah. And 
watching it the second time around, I watched it on a really rainy morning, completely by myself. But ass naked. <laughs> and, and I just like it, 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 I was in it. I was, mm-hmm. it, it was a similar experience that I had with Blade Runner 2049, mm-hmm. like watching it by myself and just being with the movie and fully giving yourself to it completely changes the experience. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that I think I like just love this movie more than I thought I was going to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got so much things going for it. Originally when this first came out too, this was the movie that I saw like the resurgence of Nicolas Cage. Like yeah. this, this, to me, this was, and I don't know if there was like something before it, but like this was the point where I saw Nicolas Cage doing like weirder stuff and I was for it because like he had burnt himself out and doing like these mainstream movies. Like, yes, National Treasure are amazing, but like stuff like Ghost Rider and like I love it to death, but Face Off, like these very mainstream like cut and dry films. And then he started giving himself to like these indie films because it was like this. And then he did The Color Out of Space. And then he did Pig. And I guess like, you know, he did go back to doing like a mainstream one about like himself being like, you know, Nicolas Cage and being crazy and off the wall. Yeah. But like for the majority of it, like for the past like four or five years, like Nicolas Cage has been doing like these very indie, like very strange films. And. I love it. Like, well, I he's, think... do, he's doing these more like narrative yeah. pieces that are actually super delicate, ironically, mm-hmm. which is such a, a weird thing to say because he's such a non-delicate. Like when you yeah. think of Nicolas Cage, you don't, you wouldn't necessarily, you would, I don't think the word delicate would be in the, uh, the I Rolodex think... of, of words that you would use for Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Like unhinged. Definitely. Yeah. But, like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you definitely feel him like trying more and i don't know if that's what it is i don't know if it's simply just maybe panos he he absolutely just adores nicholas cage as a character actor and because I, I i learned that originally his uh panos didn't actually want nicholas cage for red he wanted him for jeremiah mm-hmm. and that would have been insane well because i don't know if it would have been nearly as good well yeah because the actor who plays jeremiah feels so perfect yeah like he feels like that's what you wanted as like a cult leader yeah he looks the part Mm -hmm. he everything about that actor feels like a charles manson type yeah and nicholas i don't think nicholas cage would have been that good in that um in that character he would he would have dialed it up to a point where it's like it's almost like laughable potentially yeah and that's that's not really like what you wanted in this film yeah um, cause like everything about like Jeremiah being like the antagonist, like you feel it where it's like, he really is like just obsessed with like his own idea that he is like a prophet. Yeah. Um, and that's really what you want in a cult leader, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if you're going to go that yeah. route. Well, you... it's like the, the office thing where it's like, you know, you make more money leading, but you have more fun as a follower. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's very true. One thing I did notice too about this movie that. I don't know if maybe you were, I don't know if it even like crossed your mind, but mm. I felt like, like, uh, Panos and S Craig Zoller are kind of on the same f- playing field as filmmakers. Mm-hmm. They feel 
like when you get that overhead, that the opening shot of this film, that 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 with the music playing yes. and w- going over the forest. Yeah, and call stuff. out to King Crimson too. Nobody yeah. uses them. Yeah, I fucking love them. Uh, they that that felt very much like an S. Craig Zoller mm. film. That that felt like something that could have been in Bone Tomahawk yeah. or in you know Brawl in Cell Block ninety nine, mm-hmm. and they both are just these slow paced, drawn out storytellers Mm -hmm. but panos goes in the route of Mm sci-fi like this kind of sci-fi horror and zoller kind of stays more in the like the the grindhouse grimy dirty kind of era but i think that they somewhat supernatural sometimes but like very very rarely like again with bone tom right yeah so like i don't know i I just feel they they, i feel like they have a very kind of similar cinematic Mm -hmm. voice but they just they just decided to go in completely opposite directions. Yeah, I mean, this movie really is like a testament to where it's like you can have a drawn out scene that, in most people's opinion, like this movie is like two hours and like six minutes long, and it's like you really like any shot you could cut down like by thirty seconds. Yeah, but like it just works. Like the one of my favorite scenes in this film is like you know the first night when red comes home and like they they're like talking and then like they go out by the lake um and and you just see him like smoking and then like looking at her in front of the fire yeah and it's like it's literally a minute long shot of just her looking and like it's slow panning in yeah and it's such a good shot yeah like i really really enjoy it because like again you get like this idea that it is you don't you don't need any dialogue to understand like the connection that these two have like they're literally staring at each other yeah. like yes Mandy is staring at you the viewer but it's like you feel the intensity of like how much they love each other yeah she there's definitely that's the I really really love that there is re, there isn't really any exposition in this film and you don't mm-hmm. really need it to understand like who Mandy is mm-hmm. cuz you don't get much about Mandy you don't know who you don't really learn that much about her but just by the things that she does, by mm-hmm. the by what she's reading, the books that she's reading, the things that she talks about, like you can really tell, you know exactly what kind of woman she is. Yeah, even by like the shirts that she wears of like the Black Sabbath and yeah. like Metallica and Megadeth shirts that right. she has on. It's like you understand like what music she likes. Right. Yeah, and you just and you feel this because the relationship between her and Red are. Something that I wrote down was like when they're sitting, uh, like when they're laying in their bedroom talking about the planets, mm-hmm. she it feels like children, mm-hmm. it, it it feels like like kids just talking about about like life, mm-hmm. but like you know, she's like, What's your favorite planet? Oh, why? Yeah, and then they just talk, and she's like, Oh, this one has like it, it's completely just made by storms, like and, two five year olds becoming friends. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and like there's this kind of innocence about their relationship that I that is really just endearing to watch, mm-hmm. and I think that's why it hurts so much when she dies. Well, I, I think originally the first time that I watched this, <clears throat> I was kind of like in this suspense where it's like. Maybe it wasn't actually Mandy that they burnt. Make maybe this was all like just a trick, so in that way he can just like Jeremiah can just take her. Mm. And then it's like, no, you straight up see like her burning in the sack and the ash. Like she's basically cremated at the end of it. Yeah, and that was something that I noticed too. Was 
something to even make it a little bit more impactful because mm-hmm. the actress um, Andrea mm-hmm. who plays Mandy, she's very unique looking. Yeah, she has like this very interesting scar that like is never brought up. Yeah, and but like I, even just like I mean just like she kind of has that that sissy space that, like she just looks very interesting and different mm-hmm. and. They, I think Panos kind of even punt, like just punched you a little bit more in the gut when after they burn her, and Nicola or and Red goes and he looks at her ashes. Her skull looks like her, mm-hmm. like the skull <laughs> looks like her her actual skull structure of mm-hmm. the actress, and not just a generic skull. And then when you're looking at it, you're like, that is Mandy. Yeah. Like that literally looks like Mandy's skull and then it just breaks open Mm -hmm. and and just like gets you know turns into ash and gets blown away in the wind and like that for me hurt even more like that (laughs) added like like, salt to the wound mm -hmm. because it's like you're seeing her literal skull there that literally look like you can tell that that was her skull it it hurts so much (laughs) i know because you're just like god damn it like that it really is her dead yeah exactly and then that just helps Red at that point, like, well, Nicolas Cage to kind of, like, open up and, like, be this emotional vengeance that he is. Like, the bathroom scene is amazing. The bathroom scene is amazing. I remembered it the first time I watched it being, I was like, wow, he went nuts in that. Yeah. And this time around, I'm like, he doesn't really go that crazy. He like, doesn't. Like, <laughs> it's kind of almost like a normal feeling you would have, like, if your wife was just burnt alive. Yeah. Like, that's that's tame. Yeah. But that was originally, like, the that's the Nicolas Cage moment. Right. Like, that's the moment where it's, like, in every movie that he, he goes full-blown Nick Cage. Right. And there's a, there's a moment in that scene that I think I mentioned this to you the first time that we ever talked about Mandy. And I, I don't know if it was just a thing that happened by accident or if it was, if, if it was real or what it was, but... There's a, there's a scene where in, in when he is screaming in the bathroom and drinking that bottle of liquor, he's sitting on the toilet and there's a, a, a there's a little camera movement mm-hmm. where it's it's panning in towards him and then it stops and it's watching him just like like lose his fucking mind on the toilet and then he kind of like moves a little bit and the camera for like half a second goes backwards and mm-hmm. then he, and then and then starts going forwards again <laughs> like and it's I'm, afraid of him it, it, i'm not sure if it was afraid of him or if i'm just not sure if like the camera operator was just like we don't know what he's going to do mm-hmm. so he so like nicolas cage maybe like moved in in a way that the camera operator wasn't expecting so the camera operator was like preparing to move back mm-hmm. because he wasn't sure where he was going to go next yeah Kind of and like then, they they just let him go free reign, like kind of yeah. And I don't know if self. that's real or not, and I don't know if that if that was the case or if it was just like a like a little tiny little technical error mm-hmm. error. But either way, it kind of added to it where it's just like he's so unhinged that yeah. even the camera guy doesn't know what the fuck he's gonna do next. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and I and I love that. I know, and then like that really is the point where it's like you get into like what Mandy really is. Like it becomes the revenge story, and. I don't know about you. I wasn't like the biggest, biggest fan of like the animation scenes where it's like he I falls liked it asleep. because it felt like Mandy. It felt yeah. like like because she, you know, like it, it, it's they're essentially their dream sequences. It's, yeah. it's what he's like, you know, imagining. And there's that kind of because the film takes place in what 1983, mm-hmm. um, and it feels like we were actually talking about it uh, the other day. That film, Heavy Metal. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It feels kind of like that is what. 
Like, that's the style yeah, of the time. Exactly. And yeah, I get that. Like, the first time around, I was it really took me out of it. Um, this time around, like, it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's, like, animation sequences in this. Um, but they are kind of cool where it's like you you get, like, this nightmare feeling that Red is like, oh, her soul is, like, damned. Right. Basically. Um, but I, I got, like, this feeling, too, this time around. It was like... This film feels like David Lynch, Sam Raimi, and like H.P. Lovecraft like had a child. Yeah, like that's what I got out of this. Yeah, um, and I was cool with that. <laughs> I was like, this is weird. Like all of like the slow mo like voice changes things. Yeah, I mean specifically when Jeremiah is talking. So there's there's like there are these really and again they kind of reminded me of S. Craig Zoller. There are mm. these like weird comedic moments that yes. that again could have been cut out of the film. But they're just there and they're mm-hmm. not. And again, like maybe it would have. It's kind of exactly what I was talking about when we did our most recent one with him, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, yeah, they're sitting in this car eating whatever a lunch. And, yeah. and there's like this they're kind of having like their small back and forth. And it doesn't really add anything to the plot, but it also doesn't really take away either. It's just kind of an it's just a scene. It's just there. Yeah. And. There's a lot of that in this movie too. Like when they, when that guy um, has the the horn, yes. that that he calls the demons with. What is it? The and, the horn of a Braxis? Yeah, and the one guy just like keeps lowering the window, yeah, and then raising the window, and then <laughs> mm-hmm. lowering it, and raising it, and lowering it, and raising it, and it's like this weird moment of comedy that. Mm-hmm. Again, doesn't exactly add anything to the story, but it just it feels like an S. Craig Zoller scene. Well, it like, feels like something that somebody would do waiting for demon bikers to show up. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know if you have like any cons of this film. Like, not really. That that kind of was like my only one. It was like it didn't make sense to call the demon bikers to come and knock out Red and take uh, Mandy. It's like you have enough cult followers yeah but just it, break in and do it yeah but there's this I, well i i guess i guess there's that element of it but i mean i guess the reason it, the, the only the only real con that i have with the film and i don't even know if I, if it's a real con it's just something that i was thinking about mm-hmm. watching the film and, and i was just like i don't quite understand it was the demons themselves like are they demons or are they humans yeah because they because they, they just like they're just like hanging out in like a trailer and mm-hmm. just like watching tv and just like doing regular but, things but that's the thing is like they are demon like like they look disgusting they're like like especially the one that got an arrow through his neck and still kept going right yeah so it's like they're not human clearly and they but, are demons but they're just like living in the woods but then they also said like no they were just bikers that like did too much meth and it scrambled their brains right yeah so it's like they are humans yeah <laughs> so yeah i get it like it's it's very like they don't really tell you about it same thing with like it's never led you to believe that like red nose how to forge metal or like fight properly. Right. It's, it's like, he, it's he's like a his, lumberman. Right. Yeah. He's a lumberjack. Like, like what makes you think that he knows how to make a giant metal ax? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, it kind of works. Right. Like, like you're still like at that point, you're just kind of like in it to see like how he takes his revenge. Yeah, exactly. You're not supposed to think about it too hard. I guess. No, it's just, and, it's, it's a revenge film. Don't take it too seriously. Mm-hmm. And, but also take it very seriously. Yeah, <laughs> because when we get like the actual like revenge portion of it, 
it's bloody it's gory like yeah. it's it's fun to chainsaw watch chainsaw fight is awesome the chainsaw fight is amazing um the one like in the the actual like trailer with like the guy that's like doing coke and he's got like a blade boner yeah and he like stabs the floor right yeah and then that was the moment that made me think of sam raimi because like when he when red like box cuts his um so much blood yes <laughs> like his throat open yeah. and then like all the blood rushes down it's like that's what sam raimi would do <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, absolutely yeah but like you know like stuff like that and then like the fight with the actual axe like in front of like the car that's on fire right like stuff like that like that's all like the blood and gore and that's what you kind of want with like a revenge story yeah absolutely it's crazy too because i, I watched the like it's nice that i own this movie and mm-hmm. whenever i do own the film now that that we do i i'm like watching all the bonus features mm-hmm. and it's really cool just to see like they only had they literally had one night to film that mm-hmm. and panos was talking about how he was like you know because th- so this movie had a six million dollar budget so mm-hmm. not a huge budget, but I do think that what he's able to accomplish with the $6 million is incredible. Yeah. Um, one of the main things that he says was that the reason why a lot of the film takes place at night is so you can hide all of the flaws. Mm. So that's fair. So like that was, he, that was like some advice that he got from uh, what's his name from uh, the original Blade Runner. Mm. It's like the reason why a lot of it's at night and it's, and it's during the rain and it's very hazy and it's just because it's just to hide things that, you know, we didn't have the budget to do. Yeah. So and it's so funny. Cause like that became like something that Ridley Scott was known for. Right. Yeah. And also like, that was like the big takeaway from Blade Runner was like the, idea of hiding in the shadows yeah exactly so um so a panelist was talking about how he's like you know normally a big budget movie would have like a week to do this scene Mm -hmm. we have six hours today (laughs) (laughs) you know we have six to eight hours to get this this whole thing complete um so everything was extremely choreographed and it needed to be to a fucking t and they Mm -hmm. did not have any time to like fuck up which was it's just it's just so cool i love i love the whole diy and just get it done yeah the look of this movie is incredible i I thought it was shot on film originally Mm -hmm. it was supposed to be shot on 16 millimeter but they didn't have the budget to do it Mm -hmm. um so i've been learning a lot about uh lenses and stuff and they shot with this like anamorphic lenses which are like the kind of classic cinematic lenses uh something that i didn't realize i guess and that i didn't appreciate until really watching this movie and and watching some videos on youtube about anamorphic lenses was just like how much distortion and dirtiness they're at like there's a Mm -hmm. lot of character to to the lens of this film and and you can just feel like nothing in this movie looks clean yeah and 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 clear and crisp because i think that's one of the things that i don't like about a lot of things that are happening right now in like the lens industry is they want to make super precise the best looking crisp looking lenses but i think with that you're getting a sacrifice of character you're also getting like a very kind of like niche form of like what films can be then because it's like this film does not fit like a, a lens that is like perfectly like high definition like crystal clear to look through yeah like that would not look good with this film <laughs> yeah uh which is ironically what is what i was talking to you kind of about before we started this podcast mm-hmm. about that werewolf movie is yes. like <laughs> it looks too clean mm-hmm. that so anyway this movie looks dirty and grungy and distorted and it's because of these lenses that they're that they're using which just adds so much character and that's just a really important part of it, right? Like it feels like it was shot on film, mm-hmm. and it feels like it feels like a movie that, like a 
when I was eight years old, I found at the bottom of like a VHS bin. It's just like, what <laughs> yes, the hell in is Walmart. this? You know, like, what mm-hmm. is this? You watch it downstairs in the basement when your parents go to bed? Yeah, it essentially feels like what I think James Wan was trying to accomplish with Malignant. Mm-hmm. But I think Malignant just fell completely on its face. Uh, where it's like, oh, it's a weird, completely balls to the wall story. Uh, and, and like, it feels like you shouldn't be watching it. Mm-hmm. But this movie accomplishes, I think, what James Wan was trying to accomplish with Malignant. Yeah, yeah like everything <laughs> about like the distortion that they did, like the the voices that they did too, like distorting, like actually just in the middle of talking. Yeah. And it's like random shit too. It's literally just like Mandy in the beginning, like reading out her book. Right. And it's like you get this distortion and like it's this unease feeling to it. Yeah. We didn't. Like, re- the one thing we we completely skipped over that we I wanted to talk about was Cheddar Goblin. Well, I want to talk about Cheddar <laughs> Goblin, but I also want to talk about I the, the so I got like the steel case of this, so mm-hmm. I have a bunch of Cheddar Goblin stickers. Nice, can I have one? <laughs> yeah, you can. Yes, <laughs> you can put it on your water bottle. Yeah. Um, there's uh, this one. Of, my favorite scene in the movie, I think, mm-hmm. is when Jeremiah has captured Mandy and. He's it's so good. So he's he's such a dick because yes. he's he, he puts on a song. Well, hey, he's his, got a his small own dick, his own though. album. He's well, got a small dick. though. Well, yeah, but he's got he's got his own album, mm-hmm. right? That that he's playing for. He's like his, he's like, have you ever heard of whatever fucking band it was? I don't remember what mm-hmm. he says. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, I think that this is even better than them. And it's his fucking album. Mm-hmm. And he's playing it. And he and he like goes on this little kind of like monologue and then he opens up his up his wardrobe and and he's completely nude and to completely just make him feel like a small little man. She just starts. She she she's like, this is your music. And he's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she just starts laughing mm-hmm. at him. Right. And and. And I mean, the monologue that he goes on is incredible, especially when there's that overlaying effect yes. of her face so on his cool. face and, and the things that he's saying and the distortion of his voice coming yeah. in and out. There are things in this film that like are like go above and beyond. And that's like the main thing. Yeah. Uh, and then when he opens up his wardrobe and Manny starts laughing at him and he and she makes him feel so not like a god. Mm-hmm. It's it's this it's these moments like that in this movie that really just make me laugh mm-hmm. and make me like, like you got to appreciate Mandy as a person yeah. of just being like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> like I don't need this shit. Yeah, exactly. And just like humanizing this guy who thinks that he is, you know, like literally a, a, God. a gift of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course he gets really, really upset and tells everybody to shut up and he like, you know, and then that's, that's pretty much the catalyst is why he kills her. Yeah. Which is, crazy mm-hmm. like and then you kind of get like these small little instances like that and like at the end when like red does it actually get to him where it's like it feels like this split personality of jeremiah like, I'll suck your dick man yeah. and it's like, <laughs> and it's no, like no yeah. you deal before me yeah yeah and it's like the voice changes and everything and it's like the same thing in that scene where it's like he's staring in the mini- the mirror and he's like what do i do what do i do what do i do tell me what to do and then he like calms himself for a second and is like don't ever doubt yourself again. Yeah. And it's like, okay, there's something weird there. Right. And like, you don't fully, fully explore it, but like you, you understand the fact that like, you know, it is this like eighties hippie yeah. cult leader. Yeah. And I think that works really well. Like even with like the band thing, it's like that just, that makes sense. Yeah. To have him like be like, Oh, I, I made a, I, I have my own album 
and I'm I'm the cult leader, and I'm fucking like I'm the gift of God. Yeah, it's like that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think he got like I think there was a payoff at the very end of this film. I mean, yeah, he fucking crushes his skull with yeah, his hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, I I think the first time around, I was expecting like because you know he goes through like all these fights with everybody. Like, and it feels like a video game. It feels yes. like boss fights that mm-hmm. you're then leading up to the main bad baddie. Exactly. And again, it's just like there's this moment of realizing that he's not he's not anything special. He's yeah. just a guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love that too. Where like when he's like grabbing at the walls is like, "Don't come in here. You fuck off. Like this is my palace. How dare yeah. you?" And then the head rolls in. Right. And he's like, "Oh my fucking god! Like what the hell, man?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Completely just humanizes this guy who mm. believes that he's truly, uh, completely better than everybody else in the world and thinks yeah. that he has something to offer when he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, Cheddar Goblin. Cheddar Goblin's great. So, I think that there's like a deeper meaning behind it. There, than... Cheddar Goblin is in like a few other things that I've seen. Um, uh, I'm not familiar with that. I've seen I've I've seen like the reference in like a couple other things. Um. I could be wrong. I swear there's like a scene like in Pig where it's like they actually pull out like a box of Cheddar Goblin mac and cheese. Mm, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'd have to go back th- and see. I think it's in um, Beyond the Black Rainbow. I think it's kind of like a continuous oh, thing. So for is it Panos. only just for Nicolas Cage? I think so. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But I have definitely seen Cheddar Goblin before. Okay. Yeah. I've never have. But I but I was watching it and I just kind of realized. I don't know. Like something that that, that it that came to me when when it was when it was going was it's it's this completely ridiculous so let's just let's just set the scene (laughs) manny has just been burned alive Mm -hmm. she's dead her skull has cracked open and blown away in the wind very emotional nicholas cage has separated himself from the barbed wired um he is bloodied as fuck he's been stabbed his wrists are bleeding to hell he's just a complete it is a complete mess yeah uh he walks inside the house for the first time after her death and this ridiculous commercial for a mac and cheese called Cheddar Goblin mm-hmm. and he's just vomiting <laughs> the mac and, mac cheese, and over cheese all over the kids' heads and into their bowls and they're eating it and they love it and, and that's what it is. Cheddar Goblin, did you take my mac and cheese? <laughs> yeah, it's like this absolutely ridiculous um, thing and... I, I again I could be looking into it way too much and because again it's like this scene that doesn't add anything to the film mm-hmm. yet potentially does maybe maybe but also could be removed and, and you wouldn't feel like you're missing anything and I was just kind of wondering why that scene is here is it simply just to be stupid or is it there's something else for mm-hmm. it and I think what I took away from it and again I could be going too deep with it it's okay all of my themes are like maybe like stretching it a little thin yeah um is that this horrific and tragic and completely terrible thing has just happened and it matters so much to you because it's your life mm-hmm. but in the grand scheme of the world it's still it, a movie it doesn't no 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 it just doesn't matter mm. like to like everybody else in the world who doesn't know Mandy who doesn't know Red who isn't involved in this world at all and people in different states and different countries their lives are just moving on in just regular days mm-hmm. and it's just like this kind of like fuck you where it's just like this isn't really that big of a deal to the rest of the world. Like this is very much a you situation and mm-hmm. we know how personal it is to you. But 
when you walk in, there's still going to be comedy shows on and everything. Mm-hmm. And every, what, life is just going to keep going. Yeah, it's kind of like that thing where it's like horrible things are happening like at this exact moment, but we're doing a podcast and about like a movie. Right. So, yeah, I, I get it. I feel like you're you're, you're grabbing a little bit. Maybe of, potentially, but, <laughs> but that's like, okay. But like, why else would it be there? Like, yeah, it's just it's just it's just a thing. Like, I don't know. That that's what I took away from it is just like there's this horrible thing happening to you, and there's there's just completely stupid, silly thing happening on the TV mm-hmm. because life is just moving forward. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I have like a couple of things that I took away from this film. Okay. Um. Plain and simple, obviously, one is just revenge. Um, When you have nothing left to lose, like, just go out and get your revenge. Like, what does it matter? Um, This movie, I think, is talking heavily about, like, overindulging. Um, Because, like, it has, like, this... Even though it takes place in the 80s, it has, like, this 60s vibe, like, with hippies and, like the way that, like, everything goes about, like, the very lifestyle that they live of, like, living in the woods, um, and all of this, like, drug use that's in there. It's, like, like, Red is taking all these different drugs to, like, keep him going. So it's, like, he starts off with, like, chugging an entire bottle of vodka, and then he goes to the trailer, and he snorts, like, their crazy cocaine, and then, like, he and goes... moments to- later, he takes their whatever that is yeah like they're goo slime yeah whatever it is that like fucking makes them nutso yeah um and then like smoking the cigarette and like going out and like just completing all these tasks it's to me it was like a a kind of like thing about overindulging in drugs and alcohol um this movie i i was grasping at this one um Kind of feels like an allegory to Dante's Inferno. I was going to say it feels very... Especially when you get, like, the animated scenes and stuff. Well, that... It feels very Dante's Inferno. Yeah, that and, like, basically, like, Red is going to save his wife's soul. Right. And there are... Having to go down all the different layers. And yes. Having and having kind of one-on-one uh, fights with these baddies. Yeah, and, like, if you really think about it, like, from the first, like, um, like demonic... Uh, road warrior basically to Jeremiah there's nine yeah that he kills so nine layers of hell yeah I don't know I could be grasping out of there um the other one that I had was that like Mandy kind of represents like mother earth and uh basically red going to save mother earth yeah from these hippies that are trying to kill it yeah yeah definitely eh. well she is she's definitely yeah. this she's like this she's like this urban chick mm-hmm. who has who has it but is also just like so grounded with nature and she's just like in love with nature and loves mm-hmm. space and outer space and trees and leaves and animals and, yeah. and all that um the only other thing that i would want to add to that is the the other main theme that i took away which primarily is with jeremiah is like the male ego mm-hmm. and i mean we kind of just spoke about it already yeah talking about him and that he thinks that he's god's gift to earth and whatnot but, but like you know the idea of this guy who is basically just looks at mandy and sees her and thinks that she's absolutely breathtaking is like i'm i'm i deserve that mm-hmm. i'm gonna take that yeah because it's all because he believes that he just deserves it and there's just like that that male ego thing about mm-hmm. about some men who really are like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I don't know. That was like the other thing that I just took away from it. 
one other thing that I, I found very, very funny in this movie um, is when they're watching, is when Red and Mandy are sitting down and they're watching 1982's Night Beast. Yes. <laughs> and it's such a shitty movie. Mm-hmm. But they're watching it with such intent. Like, they can't get their eyes off mm-hmm. of it. Like, they just love it. It's just so funny. Like, mm-hmm. it just made me laugh that, that, they, that they were watching it with, like, such mm-hmm. like, real, real intent. And, like, they, like the way that they won't even look down. Like, he's cutting his yes. stick and he doesn't <laughs> want to, like, break eye contact with the movie because they think that it's probably, like, a masterpiece mm-hmm. of a film. It's just absolutely funny. But it, it also is just, like, this beautiful moment between them that yeah. you just, again, you just appreciate them so much. For me, it was the... Uh, um, the shot at the end when like he looks over at her and then he's just in the car and like does the crazy smile. Yeah, like that was just like, yeah. But what a perfect ending too when he's yeah. driving away and then it pans up to this incredible fucking like. Yeah, it's like an eighties like like the the type of like spray paint that you would do on the side of a van. Yeah, like that's yeah. what it feels like, and that's where I said like before like it feels like kind of like Lovecraftian because it's like this very dystopian like you almost can't like figure out what's going on because there's like a sun and a moon at the same time and like all these jagged rocks yeah but they're just in the forest right so it's like it it doesn't you can't comprehend it at that point yeah i do wonder where where panos is going to go next because i saw that he's got like he, he's got a, a directorial um credit in like an anthology series next and mm-hmm. then he's got another got a, he's got an actual feature film coming out um if this, he stays in like movie, the sci-fi genre be, it says that it is mm-hmm. um but I, I, the, the only reason why I bring this up is because this movie was like a box a box office failure. Yeah, like completely. Six million dollar budget. It made like one point six million dollars. So I mean, just not even half. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you look at stuff like IMDb and Rotten Tomato, and it's like in the eighties. Yeah, no, people love the yeah. movie. People like the, the people really really enjoy the film, mm-hmm. but it just was not a financial success. Yeah, and that is unfortunately like the main thing, right? Is like is is this guy going to bring in? Because for me, for me personally, yes, mm-hmm. like his name alone will make me go to the theater now. Yeah. You know, and like there's not like, that many other directors like I mean, Jordan Peele kind of has that effect now. Mm. Right. People people look at Jordan Peele and they say they say, OK, I don't care what he's making. I'm just going to go there and see it. Yeah. So if they see executive, if they see produced by Jordan Peele or from the mind of Jordan Peele or directed by Jordan Peele, people are going to go to the theaters. Mm-hmm. Tarantino has that effect, obviously, pretty yes. much no matter what Tarantino does, people are going to go there. Nolan kind of has that too. Mm-hmm. What's like it's a Chris, it's the next Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. Um. There aren't many directors like that, and and I wonder how the studios are going to view Panos going forward because like I don't see him making these giant blockbuster films. No. But he needs a budget. He needs a he needs a modest budget. Mm-hmm. I think because the last thing you want is to only give this guy like a million dollars and not be able to fucking. You know, execute what do you what like what his visions are because his visions are incredible. Yes, like I think, and that's the thing too. Even with like Beyond the Black Rainbow, it's like there's something there. It just wasn't for me. Yeah, I got. Like, I'm gonna finish it. And you, you, I'll, I'll come back to you. Yeah, I, I would like to know like your opinion on it. But like, there's something there, and like trailer alone hooked me. So it's like he he has ideas. Yeah, that are intriguing and different. So I agree. Like I I am looking forward to seeing like what he does next. I think sci-fi is definitely, like, his genre. Like, that is kind of, like, his niche thing that, like, will catapult him. Because, um, like I've said before, like, there's so much sci-fi stuff, but, like, you can do so much with sci-fi. Yeah. And this is that kind of, like, weird sci-fi revenge story that, like, works. Yep. 
So, uh, you know. Nine out of ten for me. Eight, eight and a half. Well, 8.7. Just say nine, you dick. Fine. Nine <laughs> chainsaws out of ten. Uh, Zach, you have a recommendation? I do. It's not anything close to how crazy this movie is. Um, I've been getting like heavily into uh, drugs and alcohol lately. Nice. Now, um, I've just been like a really big fan of Dave's Killer Bread, and I just kind of want to like shout them out. Okay. Um started company in 2005 uh i i've mainly only switched to like dave's bread for like most things um i started with like their actual bread like they have the everything and like the seeded ones and they even have like white bread which super good um their bagels really really good um i've made that again bagels bagels okay (laughs) why how do you say it bagels i know a lot of people that say bagels in like weird like bagels bagels and I don't trust anybody that says bagel. Yeah, it's weird. Like that's like I'll jokingly say bagel, but like if that's how you call it, <laughs> I'm not talking to you. <laughs> um, their bagels, uh, their English muffins are really good too. Um, just all these different like everything. Bread, yeah, basically like all these different bread products that like I've just over time like switched to, and I just really really enjoy their stuff. Um, it's really tasty. It's very nutritious. Low sugar, low carbs, um, high protein. So. Very odd to get that from just straight up bread. The yeah. only downside that I have is because it has like no like chemical stuff in it. Um, it goes moldy a lot quicker right. than so most breads. Like refrigerated or freeze yeah. It. So I'm I'm just literally freezing it and then like defrosting it every day. Yeah, but it's good bread. Cool, good stuff. All right, Frank. What are we doing next? Uh, our next topic. We are going to talk about films that we think are masterpieces mm. perfect we think that these are perfect films mm-hmm. they might not be but we think they are okay <laughs> uh so that being said the divide zach, <laughs> zach take us out all right guys thank you for listening now frank i'm your god now